The Jeremy White Show. There we are. Hey, there you go. Oh, that's hilarious. That's exactly the spot where you do all your interviews. That's funny. <laughs> yeah, of course it's the same spot. Shocking. <laughs> I'm like, oh shit, no, it's, it's legit. He's he's in the that's, spot. That, that's where. That's what. Yeah, that's that's where the mic is. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Uh, well, we're already recording. We'll get right into this. Uh, very excited to talk to this man. Absolute legend in the guitar community. I was just at a bar uh, picking up my cousin and went inside. And I'm like, yeah, I gotta go. I'm, I'm interviewing Dave Freeman. They're like, and two of the guys at the bar are like, Dave Freeman, what? <laughs> Tell him we know who he is. There you go. I just told you. Uh, Welcome to the show for the first time. The one, the only Dave Friedman. How's it going? It's going great, man. How are you? I'm doing okay. Uh, Yeah, just uh, it's it's Thursday. I'm excited because the weekend's right around the corner. It's been a long day of uh, interviews. And uh, what'd you get up to today? I feel like this is an AA meeting now. Man, you know what? I did paperwork all day today. <laughs> Isn't that the fun side of running a business, having to do the paperwork? Uh, sending some invoices, sending some different things to people, and I just like stuff. Oh, God, I got to get this done. All right, that's it. I'm doing it. <laughs> yeah. How much actual amp work are you doing on a daily? I do, I do stuff all the time. Amp work, yeah. rig work. Um, I mean, all the time, really. I mean, mm. you know, uh, depends on the day, man. You know, I don't know. Yeah. Today, nothing. <laughs> you didn't touch, work. didn't touch a soldering iron. Like nothing. It was a chill day. Not today. I had to make a video for someone to show them how to do something. But oh, oh, that's actually pretty cool. I didn't know. Like you, you would like you do stuff like that. Like if, if I'm having a problem with an amp, I can like be like, hey, can you just show me how to do this real quick? Or uh, yeah, I yeah, sure. Why? Whatever it takes. You know. <laughs> uh, talk a little I bit do about all my own customer service so you know it's uh that's insane well, you know what that goes a long way though because when you're dealing with a big corporation or i mean like to try and get a replacement part or go through a service center and this and that it's like it's such an arm and it's such a hassle but if, if you're the guy and the point of contact it's like i mean it makes it so much easier but then he also got like weirdos all the time too i'm sure so well, you know, I always said that the issue the issue is this, if someone else does it, right? If someone else is doing the customer service and 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 the customer contacts that person and they ask them a question about blah 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 amp, uh well, uh then that customer service emails me mm-hmm. and says, "Hey, this guy's got this question about this amp." And then I have to type it back to the customer service person anyway. Yeah. And at that point I might as well just type you know, yeah, cut out the middleman. Yeah, send it to the customer and less chance of it getting messed up. Right. Uh, I was just, uh, I did a show with Brett Michaels over the weekend and the opening band had a Friedman amp on stage. And I was like, oh, I got Dave Friedman coming on. And I, I didn't take down the, my, the, the model number or anything, but it's cool to see, like, you got Marshalls, you got EVH, but it's, it's awesome to see, like, Friedman amps on stage. That must be, like, a real thrill for you to see your name alongside those big names and big brands on stages around the world. Yeah, I guess it is. You know, I, I don't really think about it anymore. You know, it's just <laughs> it, this is the normal thing. I mean, but it's our, like a household our, name at this point. It's, you our know, brand has become quite big and I've become quite, I guess they call legendary, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. But, you know, I don't like to deem myself that. But OK, <laughs> look at you being ah. humble. <laughs> Uh, I know it's probably been covered a thousand times on other shows, but it's just real quick. I mean, like, what made you get in? What, what was where did your fascination with guitar and guitar gear start? Oh man, I was a guitar player in Detroit, Michigan or a suburb of Detroit. And, you know, uh, 
when I started, I, man, first concert would have been like in 1981, The Who. Mm. I was pretty young, though, then. Um, and, you know, uh, I just became not only obsessed with the music and the players, because, you know, we I, I grew up in the guitar hero era, so to speak, right? You know, yeah. uh, uh you know, all the greats really sort of came from that era, you know, uh, unless you're talking seventies people, you know, like Jimmy page or something, but right. Um, but our favorites came pretty much from the eighties from the eighties. Yeah. It came from the eighties. Uh, and, uh, you know, not only was I, because I was a, a guitar, new guitar player, I was like, how do they get that sound? Mm-hmm. What, why do I like Angus Young sound? Why, what, but what makes that different from Tony Iommi? What makes that different from Eddie Van Halen? What that makes that different from Judas Priest? What makes, and I was kind of obsessed. It was almost like, uh, uh, figuring out what, you know, what it was that made up their signature tones, you know, and they all had kind of signature tones, you know, right. and, 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 you know, it's, it's it's more cookie cutter these days you know what i mean it's it's just like everyone sort of sounds the same i find that too i mean like you listen to a lot of rock like modern rock or even like country productions and like everybody's guitar tone sounds the same everybody's got the same drum loops and drum samples and like there's there's nothing really that sticks out like or you know when you heard alex van halen you knew it was alex van halen but today Mm -hmm. if i hear you know geth from the struts who are a great band but his snare sounds just like greta van fleet's snare and like there's no different. You can't really differentiate yeah. the two. Yeah, exactly. 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 And, uh, yeah. So I just, be, you know, like I said, I just became obsessed with, uh, I wanted the knowledge of how the, how they went about getting the tones that they had. Right. It took a lot of years to gather that knowledge, but, uh, you know, I, I, I did it. But it's, and it's kind of like, you know, what makes a different, what's, you know, what makes a, a Mutt Lang record different from a Bruce Fairburn record or, or a Bob Rock record? Like, why does Mutt's vocals sound like that? But then Bruce's drums sound this way. Like, if you're chasing that tone and you're more interested in the gear side of it, I mean, you know, I, did you ever want to be the performer on the stage or was it the backstage? Yeah, I mean, stuff originally, yeah, when I was, well, yeah, when I was a kid, sure, I wanted to be a guitar player. Sure, I want to mm-hmm. be the performer on the stage. But, you know, that, that, that slowly went away when I moved to California in 1980s, late, late 87, early 88. That's a little mm. funny on when that was exactly. Right. And, um, actually a problem. Yeah, that's about right. And, uh, I went to work for a company called Andy Brower studio rentals, who was a, uh, studio instrument rental company and cartage company. So they cartage meaning, uh, carting studio guitar players gear to the sessions mm-hmm. that they were doing at the time there was music being made and and many records being made in lots of sessions and lots of studios and and you know i started working in that field and with the you know the rental end of that was huge at the time and i mean that's a that became my library of sounds you know um because they had every tweed fender, every blackface fender, uh, every variety of modified Marshall, every variety of cabinet mm-hmm. and guitars and so on and so on and so forth. You know, you had everything at your disposal, everything at the disposal all the time could hear it all. And I heard everything. Mm-hmm. 
and uh and, and and you know you were you were doing it you were taking it to sessions and stuff and bringing it back when you brought it back you had to check the product in and you make sure it was still working and everything mm-hmm. so yeah you got to hear literally everything and uh that's that's where it became you know that's the the library i call it you know not not many people ever have heard all the amps that i've heard yeah, especially being in that setting, so many things just coming and going. I mean, like, and having to test them. I'm sure if you you just compare a twin to like a blackface, you could tell the difference between the two just like from your ears instantly. Yeah, I, well, yeah. I mean, you just learn. I mean, you know, you learn that most blackface Fender amps are all the same, mm-hmm. uh, just some slight variations in power levels and everything else. But then there, you know, tweed amps are very different from uh, blackface amps and. A Soldano mod sounded different than a Lee Jackson modified Marshall. Uh, you know, so you know. Talk a little bit about that. I mean, f- just for the the casual consumer that isn't into gear and stuff like the way we are, what does that mean when you modify an amplifier compared to something that's stock from the store? Well, generally, when someone asks me to modify an amplifier, they're looking to take this old amp. Let's say, let's just hypothetically say a JCM eight hundred or an old JMP and they want me to hot rod it. So they want it to have gain, you know, and they, they, they want what I generally do, or they have a specific idea of what they want. Uh, and you know, it's my job to alter the circuit to be what they, what they're, you know, interested in having. Now, what is a guitar amp? Like, how is it made technically? I mean, like, it's it's a bunch of wires thrown together and some tubes, and it it, it sounds good, but like theoretically, <laughs> I don't know how like, to answer that one? I mean, you know, it's a it's a it's a a a tube amplifier. How do I answer that? What is a tube amp? I mean, yeah, I mean, like, how does uh, like all these parts come together, and then you get this incredible guitar sound that comes out of it? I mean, like, the like physically, how the hell does this thing work? Well, you know, it, it starts. It, it's not a computer. It's an analog unit. So it's like obviously yeah. it's a it's a it's a chain reaction of electrical components. Uh, that- it's an amplifier. So it's you know it starts uh, amplifying an input signal that which is a guitar level out of a magnetic pickup, and mm-hmm. and then it it basically to put it simply it boosts that up in level, and and as it and then it will cascade into another shall we say booster amp i'm making this really simple here yeah which which in turn that first stage might distort the second stage mm-hmm. and the parts you choose around those stages will uh determine you know what the tone is you're going to get out of it you want less bass use a smaller capacitor you want more bass use a bigger capacitor you want it to be tight you know tighter looser i and it, it just kind of goes on through the amp and eventually it amplifies it out to 100 watts, 50 watts, 20 watts, whatever the amplifier is. Yeah. I mean, I'm not trying to put that really basic. I ask you that question because somebody recently asked me that. They're like, well, what is a guitar amp? Like, why are they so expensive? And like, what is it? I'm like, well, it makes your guitar like louder. And they're like, <laughs> and they're like but, but but how does it work? Like, what is it? Is there a computer in it? And I'm like, like well, no, there's tubes and there's wires and. But I, I actually didn't have an answer. I was like, that's a good question. I, I don't what? really have an answer either. That's a, that's an, and no one's ever asked that question. <laughs> it's so, a good one though, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's a good question. And I, I, hopefully I explained it kind of, uh, yeah. what, what the concept was. So around what time and 
did you become sort of the, I mean, of course, Soldano and all these guys, but like, when did like you become the guy that all the rock stars would go to for their, for their mods and their ramps? Well, you know, it started, it didn't start with that. So it started, my career started with building rigs for guitar players. Mm-hmm. So, uh, like I the mean, Bradshaw racks and stuff yes, like that. Yeah. So I was the other guy. Oh, okay, cool. So, uh, I was the other guy at the, t- at the time, Bob, of course, was the first, uh, you know, first, the first guy, you know, that did it really commercially, but, uh, I was like the other, you know, there was hardly any people doing it then. And, uh, I became like the second guy that is still doing it. Okay. <laughs> right. Uh, so, uh, Bob was first, I kind of came in second as a, you know, a whippersnapper little kid compared to Bob and, and, uh, you know, I guess was Bob I, pissed. At the time, he was pissed, but we're friends now. <laughs> <laughs> I think at the time, he wasn't very happy. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, I started doing session guitar players, guitar rigs, other people's guitar rigs. And, and sl- you know, that over the years, you become uh, already a well-respected um, uh, guy in this, you know, professional community. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, and then, you know... You, you started getting into amps. So then these people are, Oh, what do you got there? Okay. And, uh, you know, that, that it all started in the early nineties when I, uh, partnered with Bruce Egnator, uh, for the very early Egnator designs that came out, which was a four channel guitar preamp. Cause at the time guitar preamps were like the, the big thing. Mm. And, uh, called the IE four. And then we did an amp head and then eventually he sold to Rocktron. And then my partnership with that was done and uh, we moved on and down the road, I did something with a amp company called Blankenship where I did a, um, an amp called the Veriplex with them. And, uh, nice. and that was cool. But I mean, you know, my mentor, so with amp work was Bruce Agnet. Yeah. And, uh, and then eventually around 2009, I started really manufacturing my own under my own brand name. Name and brand. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So talk a little bit about the rigs that you were kind of churning out. I mean, like what would guitar players want from you when they come and see you? Cause this was around the time of the super processed over, you know, modulated chorusy delays, like wet, dry, wet rigs. And I, early, I t- early it was, uh, it, it, it kind of morphed over the years though, during the nineties and things and went to more pedal board based things yeah. and, or more pedal based switching systems, meaning pedals in drawers and a rack and they're all they're switched remotely, right? which is advantageous when you need preset combinations of things and stuff like that. So, mm-hmm. the, you know, the thing has changed over the years on what, what kind of rigs they were, you know, um, so you know what 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 you know someone would generally come to me and they have a hey I have all this stuff and I need to do this mm-hmm. and I I need this functionality out of it and uh, you know for uh, for my gig that I'm doing and so we design a system around their needs you know yeah and I guess like especially being around all that gear like you knew which chain of reaction would be best for a guitar tone, right? Like you'd go effects yeah. and then delays. And then like, you know, you knew where to place things properly as opposed to like some guitar guy just going in there and putting stuff in a yeah. chain. And- 
Yeah, but you know, that's this, but yes, there, there is more of a proper way to do things, but, um, I, I did, I've had people over the years though, that want to do it a different way, which is, which is interesting. I remember, I remember one time doing, um, a pedal board for the bass player in rage against machine, Tim. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, he wanted his delay first and his wall last just the polar opposite of what <laughs> what you normally you know do but um we did it and it worked you know it's it's like there's no rules there shouldn't be rules and and how all these guitar sounds that were developed over the years were because people uh, didn't have certain kinds of amps and so they've half i series that into that amp it sounds really cool so i'm going right. to use that you know so they they you know they, they created their sounds you know created what they liked and especially at the time because people are adventurous and they wanted to discover some new tone to sound complete polar opposite of the next guitar player down the block yeah, yeah. I mean, it was um i was gonna say like an experimental kind of thing yeah absolutely yeah absolutely yeah yeah i mean you had to really i mean you didn't you didn't really when when i first started playing guitar there really wasn't you know multi-channel amplifiers and stuff like that there was a marshall mm -hmm. uh I guess there was a boogie, you know, <laughs> I guess the boogie was maybe one of the fir more first channel switchers. It was sort of a channel switcher. Yeah. Uh, the early ones, you know, um, uh, they had Marshall and boogie basically early on. I mean, I guess there's other things that were in England and stuff like Laney's and different things, but right. Yeah. There, there wasn't a lot there, but you know, a lot of sounds were created by, you know, treble boosters into a Vox or a treble booster into a Laney. Uh, Tony Elmi. Yeah. So um in um in your opinion, who do who was the first guitarist to do a wet dry wet setup? The first? Oh man. Hmm. Because there's a lot of people that That's talk a good about question. it. So this would this would have been this would have been developed by Bob Bradshaw uh, at the time. And you know, you're, you how that developed uh, when I had him on my show. Um, how that developed was he used to they used to slave amplifier heads into his effects racks and come out stereo. What that means is you loaded the head down with a, a a load of some sort or a load resistor, and you take a line out of the head, and it, it's basically a big preamp. Mm -hmm. um, and he would put that through the rack and eventually he figured out that hey this load resistor doesn't sound that great uh so if i use a real cabinet it'll sound cool so he started burying cabinets in speaker enclosures where you didn't really hear that cabinet it just was the load for your tube amp and then it went stereo hmm. well then later it's like well why don't we just put that on stage also and hence the wet, wet was born um who was the first one I don't know. I mean, uh, you know, all this kind of revolved early on around like uh, Eddie Van Halen. And um, I mean, the people that I recall doing, the first person that I recall doing it was Eddie Van Halen, but I could be totally wrong with that. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, later on, Steve Stevens did it, Billy Idol. And, uh, 
other people also. Um, Joe Holmes that played with Ozzy for a while did it, and oh man, a lot of people did over the time. It it if if you've ever had the pleasure of playing three cabinet big cabinets live with a wet dry wet with delays going, it sounds glorious. I got it set up in my basement in the other room. It's glorious. <laughs> it's, it's insanity. Huge. Even yeah. at low volume, it sounds ridiculous. Yeah, it's huge sounding. So, you know. Uh, talking a little bit about Eddie Van Halen, I mean, I didn't want to turn this into the, the Eddie Van Halen Tone Talk episode, but like, uh, just out of curiosity, because I you know you've done extensive analysis of Eddie's old original Plexi, and it's been covered before, but it'd be cool to get a refresher on the topic. I mean, talk a little bit about Ed's tone evolution over the years and I mean like he went from those nice marshals to getting even gainier and gainier and gainier over time like what are your thoughts on that well I mean you know you know I'm a fan of the old old stuff uh you know mm -hmm. and, and uh he's a guy that always wanted more but had a knob and he could turn it up it, it, he wanted more out of it so this this started you know a million years ago, he wanted more out of his Marshall. So he figured out ways to, you know, oh, yeah, use the Variac and it, it's, it lowers the volume, but it sounds cool. Or, you know, he always wants more. He always wanted more out of something. And, and, and I, and I just think maybe it went too far after a while. But, <laughs> um, is there such thing as too much? Uh, you know, he, he said to me before, he goes, um, I, I, I don't want to work that hard anymore in regards to the old Marshall, it wasn't, you know, it's not that forgiving. It's not that easy to play. You know, it's, 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 it's harder to squeeze those notes out of it, you know? Mm. Right. Um, I know what you mean. It's like, it maybe, yeah. yeah, he just got maybe weaker in the strings and yeah, you know, I don't know. As you get older, maybe it's just, you know, just don't work that hard anymore, you know? Yeah. No, I, I totally get that. I would have never even taken that in consideration that maybe it was just it's easier to get the notes out with a lot of gain pumping through. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but it's it's kind of like it. But it, it it's, it, you know, the more gain you add, the more gain you have, the smaller the tone. Oh, interesting. Yeah, it's that, it's not, gain is not good. I mean, uh, you want big and punchy and you want, you know, loud, big and punchy. You know, it it it, it it's a bigger tone it's uh it's it, it attacks better it's less compressed it's, it's i've noticed better. that about like um like my evh 5153 for example i find it sounds squishy if that's a good way to describe yeah it. yeah well that has more gain than anyone knows what to do with mm -hmm. i mean you no know, on on, on uh, i don't know which version you have but i've got um, the original run fender one i have the ELT the original before. one, the middle channel, the blue channel on the original one was pretty good. You can get the gain up high on that one. It wasn't exceptionally gainy on the middle channel. Yeah. The very first issue. Uh, but then they like tripled the gain on that channel later. Oh, really? So if I buy like a new like 6L6, like like a white one, yeah, for it's example. Like, it's, it's like way more gain now than it used to be. So. Huh, because I, I have the, the 5153 Stealth, which is the one he did on like oh, the 2015 well, tour. Yeah, that's like a, a lot of gain. A ton of gain. Like insane. Yeah. Like the, like mean, the blue channel. Uh, the blue channel on that, I turn the gain at two. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's an insane, it's insane amount of gain. But uh, Talking about that, how much of an effect does the actual guitar have on the tone of the amp? Oh, it has a huge 
bearing, I think. I know there's some people that have done some videos where it says it doesn't matter, you know, but I don't, I don't, I don't hear that. I don't hear it that way. Uh, you know, the kind of body wood you have in the guitar makes a difference. How it's, it's a feel thing. Sometimes like a basswood guitar is a, has a softer attack to it. It's not quite as like in your face, you know, mm-hmm. a hard ash guitar on the other hand is almost brutal. It's just, you know, bright and just punches you right in the face. You know, a maple guitar, same way it's bright punches you in the face kind of right. Um, mahogany is thick and woody sort of sounding but you put a maple t- cap on it like on a les paul and it brings back some of the snap and the and and the attack mm. uh so it all makes a difference you know I, it, it, like i always say it depends what kind of sound you want what you know thing yeah and of course with ed's tone over the years i mean like going from <laughs> from 1984 even onto like the 5150 tour where it was like the live without a net guitar tone is like for the Sam fans, that's almost like the coveted tone, like hearing him play 316 and some of those solo bits. It's like, it sounds phenomenal. But then when well, you that get was to a Marshall, that was the yeah. Marshall slaved through a Bradshaw rack with a load resistor because he preferred it at the time. And he liked what the load resistor did. It adds a little compression and kind of rolls the top end off a little bit. And then uh, came out through an H and H power amp in stereo, and you know he had a couple SDE three thousands, a little Eventide here and there, and uh, you know a PCM seventy for like Cathedral and stuff. Yeah, it, it was pretty straightforward and simple in a way, but also mm-hmm. kind of complicated. Yeah, it was a stereo rig. It wasn't. It wasn't that crazy. Yeah, and then later on, like for unlawful carnal knowledge, I mean, like once again, it got gainier. Yeah, for that though, then then it went then it was the wet dry wet. Mm-hmm. So for that tour, Soldano amps and all that stuff. I don't know if he recorded with the Soldano uh, amp. No, he recorded with the Soldano amp. Uh, I think the tour wound up being the PVs. Mm-hmm. Right. I think it's- I could. I mean, I'm a little foggy <laughs> on that. So, so talking about that, I mean, like just like modern amps in general. I mean, like, why do you think? Do you think it's a uh, I guess like practical for everybody to sort of like have like that gainy kind of sound or like, do you think it comes down to players taste or is it a manufacturer's fault where it's like, okay, well, this is what we're making. So this is what everybody has to use. I think the biggest, the biggest issue is, uh, and well, people just got out of hand over the years. So people started making gainier amps and then <laughs> they, used, they got used to them and they got used to them and that damn tube screamer and, ruined and, it for everyone. And also people started playing with less volume mm down to no volume and uh and you know there there, there's an interaction between a guitar and an amp Mm -hmm. i think we had joe bonamassa on our show the other day and there's there's an interaction between a guitar and an amp there's a symbiotic relationship between the two and how the guitar is reacting to the speaker cabinet and 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 the, the 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 vibrations and the sustain you get from volume uh is is a huge thing with mm-hmm. no volume yeah you might seem like hey i need more gain or something you know because you're not you're not having any relationship between the pickups and the cabinet and anything so it's right it's different it's sort of like okay if you have a lot of gain when you're playing down low and then you turn it up what happens it's unusable yeah it's right? uncontrollable it's, it's uncontrollable it's unusable and all of a sudden you're reaching back for your gain to turn it down mm-hmm 
because the volume is doing what you need it to do. Yeah. It's it louder. It, it's just like the biggest issue these days. I, I, but it's also because there's so many quiet stages these days. Like I don't believe in that whatsoever. I don't. If you go see a band that has real amps on stage, I don't even care if they're playing them quieter. Uh-huh. If you go see a band with real amps on stage, you have a better viewing and enjoyment experience than a quiet stage with all modelers. You just right. do. I mean, there's nothing coming off the stage. You you may don't go near the front of the stage. Forget yeah. that. Especially that, if they don't have any over. front fills, you're not hearing shit. That's all over. Yeah. You better go stand in the back if you want to, you know, that's yeah. what I don't get, but like, you know, people going and spending, you know, like 1200 bucks on a concert ticket to be front row or like, you know, on the barricade of the pit. Cause it's like, well, you're not going to hear anything <laughs> at all. Maybe. Yeah. Literally. If you're lucky, there's a speaker in front of you. If you're lucky. And if, you know, if, if I forget which band it was, I went to see a band. In an arena, and there was no front fills whatsoever, and mm-hmm. they were all like model modelers. Like it was the quietest stage ever, and I couldn't hear anything. You hear the drums, and like the, yeah. that's kind of it. Yeah. And the and the bigger and the other big problem these days with shows, I find, is that more modern. <laughs> they're all Pro guys. Tools, and they're all it's all tracks. Well, <laughs> well yes, that's one. More, more modern sound guys don't seem to know what to do with guitar. Mm. And, you know, you go see a band that is a guitar based band. It's it's guitars are the main focus of the band, let's say. And and you hear, you know, bass, drums and vocals really well. And the guitar seem kind of low. Mm. And and I'm like, this is a guitar based band. These guitars need to be up really loud, you know? Yeah. Well, then you can't hear the vocal. No one cares about the vocal. They care about the guitars. It's a guitar bass. They're they're here for the guitar player. It would be it would be like seeing Van Halen without Eddie Van Halen in the mix. Right. Like, that doesn't make any sense. It's funny. I had that experience at, at I went to see Shania Twain a couple of weeks ago. I'm a huge Shania Twain fan, huge Mont mm-hmm. Lang fan. And like there's just certain points in the you know when like a front of house guy just doesn't know the music? Yeah, sure. And like there was just certain bits where I'm like the fiddle part should have gone up here. Why isn't that guitar blistering my face right now in the solo? Like it was just the the flattest sounding saddest mix, and I was so disappointed as a fan because I know how the stuff's supposed to sound. Yeah. Talking about that, I uh, somebody wrote in a question. Uh, my friend Victor, uh, he said, um, realistically, how long can we expect vacuum tubes to be produced? They've been saying that for uh, I don't know. I think they started saying that in the nineties. So, um, I don't, they literally have been saying the exact same sentence since the nineties. So there you go. Yeah. It's not going to be anytime soon. No, I think we're, I think we're fine. We have, have, you know, you still, I mean, you still have Russian tubes, you still have, um, Slovakian and you still have, and you have a different factory in China now. So I, I don't, I don't think they're going anywhere anytime soon. Do they all sound different? Yeah, I mean, all, every every brand has its own sort of signature to to how it sounds, right? Um, talking about just modeling, for example, I mean, like given the dramatic improvement in like modeling amps, like fractals and the neural DSP. I mean, I was just backstage at Megadeth and Dave Mustaine and the whole crew. They were all just running DSP neural DSP quad cortex into like front of house, and that's it. Like. Do you think in the next decade or so, like people are still going to be buying real tube amps or like, is it getting scary as a, as a manufacturer? 
Well, I mean, they're, they're still buying tube amps. I mean, I still, I still think there's, there's a lot of people out there that don't want to deal with the headaches of menus. Hmm. And, uh, I mean, I mean, do you own a, do you own a modeler? I do. Yeah. And, and how many headaches have you had just, okay, I got to plug it into the computer to edit this. I just want to turn the gain down, but I got to plug it into the computer now. And, oh, wait, the computer editor is now not talking to it. Yeah. Oh, shit. Okay. What's wrong there? And then you're in tech hell for a while. And then eventually you figure it out. And, and by then uh, you were able to turn your gain up, but it's an hour and a half later. Yeah. And you're going through forums trying to figure out how to do it or going to, yeah. where, 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 where an amp, you go over to the knob, you turn the gain up, you're done and you play guitar. So, I mean, I think, I think honestly, you know, the, the amp approach or some sort of approach that had knobs is a better solution. Right? No, I agree. And it's once again, it's the analog versus digital argument, right? Some things you just win with analog. Right. For sure. Uh, well, it was so great to talk to you. I know we're running out of time, but, uh, of course I'm a big fan of tone talk. I love to catch the, an episode when I, when I can big fan of the channel and, yeah. um, yeah, it was great. I've, to yeah, talk I've seen to a you. bunch of your little interviews and stuff. It's been cool. Hell yeah. Bunch of my little interviews. Which one did you see? Which one? Uh, that's a good question, right? I can't, <laughs> and of course, right now I can't think of any of them. <laughs> It's funny when, when you interview guitar players, for example, I mean, like, what do I mean, you I, think? Go, I, I went, I, you know, I knew I've seen clips and things and, 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 and have I watched an entire show? No, oh, probably I not. I haven't either. The entire show. <laughs> <laughs> I don't watch my own show. Yeah. Um, I'm the same way, you know, uh, uh, but I like it. It's a cool, uh, you have a, you've had a lot of great guests on. I mean, I'll, I'll go from talking to, Ed Sheeran on the radio to then talking to you on the podcast or mm -hmm. Dua Lipa mm -hmm. on the radio and then Paul Stanley on the podcast. Like, yeah, know, it's, it's, I like how, it. How'd you get started doing this? The podcast or just like broadcasting? Uh, all of it. I, now I'm interviewing you. <laughs> I know. Right. Well, I got into it. You know what? My, my, my musical awakening was seeing the video for jump when I was about four or five years old. My mm -hmm. uncle Terrence had the best of volume one DVD or VHS at the time with all the music videos on it. And he always had kiss posters. And I was deathly afraid of Gene Simmons growing up because of the tongue. <laughs> and he just, he just looked evil and he put on Van Halen. And for some reason, seeing Eddie with the Frankenstein and playing the keyboard part, I, I felt really safe, really watching it. And like, it just like did something inside of me. And I was like, I want to do that. Ah, yeah. And then from there, like later on, I discovered like uh, Shania Twain and I was like, why do I love these songs so much? And then I was a fan of Def Leppard. And I was like, why do I love these songs so much? And then that's I why Mutt Lang discovered my love for Mutt Lang. And I got into radio literally by accident. I inv I built these Eddie tribute guitars, like a 5150 and a Frankenstein. And I sh showed my buddy, my dad's friend at our local radio station over here on the back porch of our native community radio station because I'm from a native uh, reservation over here we're, mm. we're mohawks and i showed up there i'm like hey i want to show you these guitars i built because he was the biggest van halen fan in town and uh rolled up there on the my my guitars on the back of my four-wheeler and um the program director was out on the back porch and they needed a fill-in like the next day to do traffic and i was like hey, well what if i come in and hang out and see how this is done and just kept going back ah. and, 
Yeah, literally at 15. And then right. I was still in high I was still in high school. And then two years later, I ended up getting hired at the biggest radio station in Montreal, uh, doing overnights at 17. You said you had to be 18 just to be on their promo street team, like doing events and stuff. But I got on the air at 17. There was everybody hated me on the street team. But <laughs> you know. And then I just went from there. And uh, then I got on the radio in Toronto. I've, I was on the air in the Middle East. Like I've been on the air. I'm on the air in, in the U.S. now. But the, the funny thing is that I started this podcast because I wanted to interview Gene and Paul and like Joe and Phil from Def Leppard, and all these rock mm -hmm. guys or even people mm -hmm. like you. And I didn't have an outlet for it. And I pitched it to the radio station and they were like, no, this doesn't target Jessica, who's a 45 middle aged woman who has problems balancing time between her kid's soccer <laughs> practice and mm -hmm. getting laid and uh, dating. And yeah, it's like, yeah, OK, yeah. so, you know, what? I'll just do it on my own. And yeah. went from there. I had a partner, Mitch LaFon. He and I, we teamed up at one point and he was my co-host and he had to bow out because he ended up catching uh, the Rona last year. He's got the long mm -hmm. COVID and he hasn't oh, recovered. Yeah. It's, it's basically rendered him like uh, essentially disabled at this point. So oh, that's I, horrible. Yeah. That's been on good. my own. But yeah, so that, that's how I started this thing. And, you know, I wanted to talk to guitar players. I wanted to talk to people like you. And it's it's and if I didn't have this, you know, I. It's yeah, that makes, that, that makes sense. You know, it's it's like I always feel like doing doing the tone talk show. I did, uh, I do, <laughs> not yeah. did. Uh, you know, I'm always like, you know, I got to document these stories from these yes. people because mm -hmm. I feel like it's going to be lost one day. And and if I can if I can just talk to them about it, you know, before you know, yeah, for hopefully not, but before someone passes or something, you know. No. And it, it just like it needs to be documented for future uh, generations, and they and and people need some wisdom, you yeah. know. Of, you know, and I'm also a musician, and like so, it's like when I interview people like Phil Collin from Def Leppard, for example, like you know, I want to know how Mutt Lang recorded the backing vocals on Hysteria. I want to know mm -hmm. how you got the guitar tone on "Pour Some Sugar on Me." And I mean, Phil, yeah, even, good stuff. You know, like the good shit. Like, I would, did you really use a Rockman? And then he goes and whips out the actual original Rockman that he used on the yeah. record. You know, yeah. it's not the the stock like uh, so, um, you know, would you rather a weekend in New York or where's your favorite place to perform or <laughs> like the top 40 oh, radio yeah, questions? Hard questions. Yeah. Oh, dude, Do I had to remember what you did. <laughs> I had this program director that would like I'd, I had to interview. Uh, who was it? It was like I was going to interview like Demi Lovato or something like that. And he was like, okay, here's, here's the questions I want you to ask her. I want you to ask her, like, if she, if she, if she was on a desert island, would she rather take regular flavored chips or would she take chocolate? And I was, I looked at him, I'm like, I am not asking her that question. Like, no one, no one cares about that stuff. No, Does anyone but, watching people care about this stuff? But that's I, the thing. I know I don't. Uh, I, 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 uh, I think I think everything should be I see now I can't do anything uh, I've learned that in any video I can't do anything that's scripted. Do, yeah. it, it does not work for me. Yep. I have to just talk off the top of my head. Yeah. And and I think that comes off much more naturally. You know, well, look, you, you just you know maybe 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 you kind of have an idea what you want to ask or what you want to do but but you know just got to talk off the top of your head and and where Basically, you know, shoot, you know, shooting the crap on tone talk is what, you know, just like, that's the idea, you know? Just, yeah. And look, like an artist comes on my show 99% of the time, they're plugging a record 
or a tour or something. So we always come circle it back around to that. But I don't have a list of questions prepped in front of me. Like even this, like, you know, it's off the cuff. Like ask you about who's the first people that do wet, dry, wet. I don't have that written down. (laughs) I mean, that's the best, you know, you just gotta, you just gotta just, yeah. Then then you're surprised. And then you're fumbling over your answer. (laughs) I'll tell you like just how stupid like corporate radio is. For, For example, okay. I'll give you a prime example. I interviewed David Guetta and I asked him a question so he had a song out and it was super, super like 90s, early 90s dance sounding. OK. And so I asked him, I was like, just conceptually, how did you come up with the production and like the sonic landscape of this song? Did you sit there with like an Oberheim keyboard and you had like this vintage patch from the 80s and that inspired you to create this? Like, where did this start? And he was super impressed with the fact that I said Oberheim because it's exactly what he used. And then we had this great conversation about it. Mm-hmm. I got reprimanded by my program director because he told me that the our audience doesn't care about that. They don't know anything about that. And I shouldn't be asking him any of those questions because I should be asking him about touring. I should be asking him about life, you know, what kind of foods he likes, like stuff, like lifestyle stuff. Mm-hmm. And I had to stop him and I was like, you do realize that Jessica, 45 years old, is not watching an interview with David Guetta on our radio station. It's people that are fans of his and that probably care about music production or DJing. And the fact that he appreciated that question just goes to show that he was interested. Yeah. But you, but you can't win. So that's why I was like, you know what? Next time David Guetta, I'm going to do an interview. I want to make sure it's on this show so I can ask him those questions. Not like, hey, do you like ketchup chips? Have you ever, been to, have you ever had Putin when you played Montreal? <laughs> it's it's always the same stuff i had Man. to interview the jonas brothers once and it was like questions like that and i wanted to talk to joe about guitar playing like about well why he plays a les paul but no it was like do you guys really still have your purity rings and yeah like literally stuff like that like wow you know, okay well yeah. you know so yeah that's why i like I this kind of stuff you gotta do <laughs> yeah. When you when you talk to guitar players and when you interview guys on like, you know, Tone Talk, for example, I'm like, what are the questions that really gets an artist and a guitar player going? You know, every artist is different. I've learned this over the years. So so anytime you're dealing with an artist, there's a certain um you almost have to be a psychologist sometimes on 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 how you treat certain people versus other people. Mm-hmm. Some are really loose and easy and no problem. Others can be touchy and 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 weird about things. So you, oh, yeah. you, have, you have to uh you have to sort of know what you're getting into and and you have to be careful of what you say at first at least and until yeah. you until you kind of feel it out, you know. Uh, fortunately a lot of times people that uh come on our show I already kind of know or right. have I was going to uh, say like no, you not usually always. Yeah. not always but 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 you know, I, I kind of, sometimes we'll have some sort of relationship with them or have met them or something. Yeah. And, um, so I got a better idea, you know, on on how to do it. What really the show just steers itself. Mm -hmm. It's, it's the relationship you have with the guest that's on the show. And then the show steers itself. It, it it just goes in whatever direction. At least that's how we work ours. It goes in whatever direction it goes. You yeah. know, sometimes it can go off the cliff, <laughs> like uh, the Jakey Lee episode. I don't know if you ever saw that one. I've heard of it. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's a four-hour show. 
the the infamous uh, while, Jake while drinking. Perfect. But you know what? That's when you get them all liquored up and you're hour. like, tell me, really, what what was going on? You know? <laughs> well, well, yeah, and no, and he said some shocking things to me. You know that that I literally, you know, it's it's. Uh, Did you get some calls the next day? Like, what the fuck, Dave? No, 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 no. Actually, everyone loved it. That's the thing. So if you go off the rails on air, they love it. Yeah, they they it's I mean, we it's some crazy amount of views on that episode. And, uh, you know, and he, you know, he said some really interesting things that had been originally said years ago in um, Krang magazine Hmm. in more detail than he did on the show. But, you know, he said that, you know, at one point in time, uh, Motley Crue had asked him to join the band. Mm-hmm. to replace Mick Mars. And this was, you know, 1980-ish or, you know, 81-ish. Right. When Before that happened. First and it was printed in Krang Magazine in great detail uh, in, like, 1981. We have actually found the episode. Uh, the the, uh, um, the article. Article. In an old uh, magazine. Uh, so, um, of course, uh, when he said this on our show, it went to all the rock news and stuff. And then Nikki Six is, you know, going, well, I, you know, talked about some has been, you know, blah, 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 <laughs> uh, you know, stating stuff for publicity. And, and, and let me tell you, this couldn't be farther from the truth. Jake couldn't give a rat's ass about. Yeah publicity or anything you know he was just telling the story he doesn't you seem know? like that kind of guy that would just say something he's not, he's not that kind of guy he would he wouldn't he wouldn't say that you know and then and then, then the other one was uh uh he blurted out did i ever tell you about the time mick mars called me a slant-eyed japanese bastard <laughs> and i look at him i go he what <laughs> And we had this whole discussion about that, that, yeah. you know, that was, that like shocked me. Even I was like, what <laughs> he did? What? Yeah. You know? Well, I think it's well documented that Mick is like, a, he's a pretty racist guy. <laughs> well, you know, I don't know. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't know that for a fact. Uh, yeah. I've met before. Uh, I don't know that for well, a there's fact. There's videos of and him and like, like, and, and, and then Jake, Jake went on to go, well, no, I'm not calling Mick racist. Right. I'm not saying that at all. Yeah. Uh, uh, he just said it in the heat of the moment, and you, you had to have been there to understand what was going on at the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, and which he explained in more detail, but I'm not gonna. I don't even remember all the details. So yeah, people can go watch it if they want. But that's why the episode. And that's also like an off. That's also like an off color, like kind of comment you say when you're like chilling with your friends and your buds or something. Like you yeah. know, maybe he wasn't even being serious. I mean, you know, he, it was, it was, uh, you know, of course, of course it went to rock news. Like, you know, Oh, instantly. I'm sure blabbermouth ate that up instantly. And of course the title was, you know, <laughs> Jakey Lee calls Mick Mars a racist, which on and, tone talk. And then of course you read the article and of course he says distinctly in that the, you know, what was said and it isn't that title at all, which is typical for most news. Well, you know what? That'll happen to me all the time. Like, you know, yeah, I'll do an interview and I have nothing to do with the publication, but then they'll go and make an article out of an interview I do. And it could be like the worst headline with like, you know, make it out, taken out of context. And then I get an email from management and they're like, what the fuck is this? Can you, you need to delete this. And I'm like, I have nothing to, I don't work for ultimate classic rock. I, I, I have no control over them. Like, 
Like yeah. Loudwire. Yeah. I don't work for Loudwire. Like, yeah. yeah. But you never know. I mean, that's what happens with shows mm-hmm. all the time, constantly. Did you ever? Uh, did you ever work with Mick Mars over the years? Uh, you know, I didn't. I, I've met him before briefly uh, uh, at his house once, and mm-hmm. uh, he, he he was. In fact, I'd like to have him on Tone Talk. That would be very interesting because you yeah. just pull up the clip. Like, I have, I just want to play you something real fast. <laughs> <laughs> I, you're probably not going to do that, but <laughs> that I could go, up. Hey, Jakey Lee says hi. <laughs> that would no, be hilarious. That, be, that would be legendary right there. And like, come on, get the two of them on yeah. a Zoom. Come on. Oh, that was that. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> Who's had one of the most elaborate rigs that you've worked on over the years? most elaborate um like complex to the point it's just ridiculous like well okay so there 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 is a newer band that is really interesting so a friend of mine um a a guitar player named george pahone he plays with a band called cairo knife fight i don't know them knife fight uh is a two-person band and uh, you should look them up they have now yeah. recent uh recent video a video just got released recently it's it's a heavy vibey band um but um george also is it's funny this music is nothing like it but george also plays guitars and guitar in the black eyed peas oh no way so yeah so but it could be polar opposite yeah and um that happens a lot though like and, 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 and like way way different but george's rig is so intensely he must have uh let's see i mean there's three or four different friedman amps a bass amp something because it's a two-piece band right, right. okay so the a, a, a bass amp so there's like six amps going a bass amp an elaborate switching system with all sorts of textures and pedals and things the routing confuses me wow. i built i built it for him but it, it's intensely uh crazy funny we saw him i i actually took jakey lee when i was in vegas once to see them play they were playing in vegas because george now lives in vegas Hmm. and i go you gotta come see my buddy's band and he was telling me later he goes yeah when you say i gotta come see your buddy's band i was like oh boy i don't know and i'm like i i told jake i go do you think i would tell you to come see a band if it wasn't fantastic and great come on man i'm not gonna drag you out to a bar band or something um and he 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 went up to george and he was talking to george and he goes you can't drink before you use this huh because <laughs> it's so elaborate he goes oh no right <laughs> it, it, he does a lot of looping and, and a lot of different textures and things to it and it's crazy so that's a more modern thing that I've done. But in the past, you know, there's been big rigs that I did for, you know, Steve Stevens and thing that were reasonably elaborate. I mean, yeah. there's probably been so many rigs I've done. I forgot right. what was elaborate or not elaborate now. You know, it's I, I can't even remember them all. And it's crazy with the technology because it's like you, you can have Ableton like doing all your patch changes for you and the show computer like it, all of that stuff is just like it's insanity these days. yeah but none of that with uh, the cairo knife fight it's all in real time it's real yeah it's yeah. there's not tracks it's he's, he's making the loops yeah he must have a right. lot of presets going then 
Yeah, it's a whole bunch of shit going on. Yeah. Yeah. How does that work now? It's like, so if you have an analog amp and you need the show computer to make patch changes for you on your rig, like, is it all still MIDI? Or is, has it like, has yeah, it it's, MIDI. it's essentially MIDI and it, it switches the, the switcher that's in your rig and, and that switcher is switching all the analog gear in and out and channels on your amp and things like that. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. I was, talking, I was talking to the guitar player for Shania Twain and he was talking about how like they would literally dial in like wah pedal swells. Like, yeah, in rehearsal and stuff like that. I'm like, that's so, rob- so totally, robotic. I don't totally believe in all that kind of stuff. I think a band should play as a band. Mm-hmm. I mean, I understand if they have to reproduce certain things, and and I, okay, maybe I understand with Shania Twain with all the stuff that was recorded with Mutt Lang and everything, and you know, but man, a band needs to play like a band. I, I think I, I don't think a band should rely on tracks. I, yeah. I just don't. I think they should be able to play it, you know. And and I it's it's gotten too insane with that. At that point in time, just stay home, listen to the album. Yeah, one of my with, favorite videos is uh, of Nikki Six when the guy runs on stage and he takes the bass off. He's gonna pull a Keith Richards. Yeah, the bass is still going. <laughs> the bass is still going. <laughs> yeah. I'll tell you what, though, they dialed that back real quick because I saw them a couple of weeks ago with Def Leppard in Syracuse, drove down to the show and, um, oh, they were playing like there was no accompaniment guitars like Nikki, like everything was obviously the click and everything was still going, but like everything else was pulled down. It was just John's guitar, Nikki's bass, backing vocals and drums. So they pulled that shit back real fast after all that stuff blew up. And they had to. Well, yeah, you'd literally have something to prove at that point. Yeah. Um, if I was to buy a, a guitar rig right now, what would be, in your opinion, the ideal guitar rig for a guitar player in 2023? Oh, man. I, that's impossible to answer because everyone's idea of what they or Everyone has a different. Um, if how do I want to say this? So if you're someone that plays music like Queens of the Stone Age. Mm hmm. That guitar rig is going to be radically different from, say, a modern rock rig, like uh, a rig I just did for Jason Hook from his new band, Flat Black. So that's going to be wildly different. So uh, what's the ideal guitar rig? I don't know. That would depend on you and your music. Right. You know, do you get get calls from people that are like, oh, can you build me a rig that sounds just like Eddie Van Halen in 1995? Absolutely. Absolutely. I've, and and I've had to do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, hey, I want to build this replica of his original stuff, or I want to do yeah. this era stuff, or yeah, sure, I've done it. Sure, I, I want to. Not going to say like, no. Yeah, I, I want to. I want the guitar tone from Doctor Feelgood. Like, can you can you make me a rig that sounds like that? Yes, we can. You know the thing. The thing is, I mean, that stuff's fun. That stuff's fun to do. You know, it's because generally speaking, that's someone that has. Uh, at this point in his life, disposable income. Mm-hmm. He's not worried about where his next meal is coming from. You know, he's 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 well off at this point, and he just wants his toys. He wants to have fun, and I think that's awesome. I I, I don't I don't have any problem with that whatsoever. I completely you know? agree. Uh, I mean, you know, as, as an amp manufacturer or, or any music manufacturer, I mean, ninety five percent or more of your audience is just someone that plays at home. The bedroom guitars it really is i mean pro guitar players is like five percent or something right 
you know, yeah. or, or, or are they playing bars or something, you know? What's the, what's the favorite amp? Like, what's your favorite amp that you build? Oh, man. Uh, I have a new favorite all the time. It depends on which new one I'm making. The newest one I'm making. <laughs> uh, you know, the B100 Deluxe is fantastic. Uh, that's a great amp. Or the Steve Stevens uh, signature amp, uh, SSV2, the newest version. Um, they both do slightly different things, so I, I, I like them both. But then, the, then I can go into other amps, too. <laughs> Our small box amp, that's cool for simplicity. You now and the kind of sound you want. <laughs> Yeah, right. So, you say know. a fifteen-year-old uh, guitarist wants to get into guitar and sees this on Instagram. I'm going to get a Friedman amp. Like, what, what? What do you think is like the best entry-level amp for like a new guitar player? Well, you could start with one of our twenty-watt amps. Uh, so, we had released a Jakey Lee's uh, JEL twenty recently that is seemingly wildly popular right now. Mm. Um, that's a cool amp. Uh, we also had the JJ Junior, which was Jerry Cantrell's signature in twenty-watt. I say twenty watts because that's going to be the cheapest platform and maybe as a kid that might be the the cool one to get you know if you want to go up to a 50 watt version i'd say maybe the runt 50 that's an on the low end of our scale it's a dirty and a clean channel it's really simple it's just you know but it's not crazy high gain or anything again what what sort of music right yeah what if i want a, a dan huff kind of modern country sound yeah well i mean isn't modern country really def leppard basically right <laughs> I'm gonna have to get a Tom Schultz. So you're just rock doing a basic hard, a hard rock sort of uh, uh, standard. I mean, most of my amps can do something like that. Yeah, they clean up really well. Yeah. So. What's your What's your opinion on on the Rockmans? Oh man, I I hated that thing when I was a kid. I, I had one. I, I mean, <laughs> I don't. I you know I hear it now. I hear it on you know records and stuff, and I'm like, ah. I mean, you know, Def Leppard did a good job, or Mutt Lang did a good job of of you know. Uh, some life that sound as good as it could you know but um i can still hear it on some parts some parts of george lynch songs where the clean part is you can hear it plain as day it's a rock man right you know um yeah there's so much like mr big stuff like paul gilbert and i always sort of even though even though the band boston was cool i always sort of didn't like his guitar sound Hmm. so right <laughs> it's true because yeah. it's got that sort of like Michael Landau, Dana, like studio session in yeah, LA, but, over, but overly processed, like yeah. uh, uh, in a sort of fake sort of way. But that's what the Rockman does, you know. So, yeah, um, you know, I mean, the the stuff with Def Leppard was recorded crazy. I mean, like they record a string at a time, you know, on on some of the stuff, and you know, to get the chord out, you know, it's like yeah. insane, on especially the- considering it was on tape time. Yeah. Phil told me that was the uh, the pre-chorus of hysteria. Go bing, 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 and then bing, 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 like <laughs> yeah. string at a time. Yeah, yeah it's it's like in, insanity. So, uh, but it know, sounds great. It does sound great. You can't deny that. Of course, I also like the early records too. You know, yeah, high and um, dry. If, if I wanted to play a wet, dry, wet setup at like a bedroom level, what's the best way to achieve that? You can do it with what you have. Yeah, right. You can just turn the volume down. Yeah, but now talk about that, though. Does volume affect the gain and like the tone of the amp? Well, I mean, yes, volume can affect the 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 tone of the amp to some extent. um, My amps are known to have really good masters. So, Mm -hmm. 
Uh, generally, it sounds good really low also. Um, Does the warmth most, of the tubes affect the tone still? Well, you know, here's the thing. Most of most of sounds out of my amps are all just done in the preamp section of the amp. You're not distorting the power section of the amp until you're getting it up around five or six on a hundred watt amp. And that's really loud. And, right. uh, and at that point, you're really, you're really, you're not really, you know, unless you're pushing the power amp, you're not really getting much out of the power amp. Now, how loud the interaction between that and the speaker the speaker sounds different at different volume levels. Okay. So, so there is that, you know, so, uh, and, and also sort of the feel, I mean, as it gets louder, it seemingly gets punchier and, you know, more forceful. Um, mm -hmm. um, but the speaker definitely sounds different as the volume level increases. So if I'm playing an amp that doesn't have a master on it, like, and I have my gain crank, but I have my volume at like, a two like it'll sound different compared to the volume being at a five or a six so if you're saying if you have an amp that has no master yeah like say i'm playing a 5153 that doesn't have a master each individual channel well, has its own volume well yeah but that's a master so so okay. yeah yeah pain in the ass with that is you have to adjust them all down <laughs> and right. adjust them all up I, I like a system master on the amp so you can once you get to a, a balance between the channels you can just go up and down with the you know levels but um yeah i mean like now if you're talking like a non a traditional non-master volume amp meaning like say an old marshall or something mm -hmm. uh yeah you're not going to ever get it to distort because there's no in the preamp there is no distortion it doesn't distort to you distorting the phase inverter of the amp mm -hmm. which in turn then distorts sort of the power section of the amp okay interesting that's a totally different sound. It's, 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 it's so dynamic and so uh, explosive sounding. Yeah. No, no, I, I know what you mean now. That makes sense. What about, um, one last question. This was a concept that was like freshly brought to my attention, burning in tubes. Now, is this a real thing? Well, okay. Uh, yeah, yes when tubes are first tested generally speaking they should be burned in for a reasonably long period of time uh in order for them to be matched and tested properly because what'll happen is if they're not burned in for a long period of time even though they're matching right now when you run it for a while they become unmatched maybe mm -hmm. and and it's a, it's a more consistent way of testing things so yes okay. burning in tubes burned in like uh i mean am amplified parts or something uh, apex matching they offer burned in sets and stuff where they burn them longer right that's a good idea actually just for stability and it's kind of like like burning in speakers like they say like you know if i buy a new cabinet like you should, play, you should play like really really loud for like a prolonged period like for a short period of time and then it like opens it up a little bit it totally changes it mm. quite radically actually Huh. Interesting. So yeah. like, so if I bought like a new, you know, new amp from you guys, like, would you recommend burning in my tubes or like, is it well, no, they're already out, burned out the in. it's already okay. burned in like even, and not only are the tubes burned in pre to us putting them in the amp gets burned in for 24 hours. Also, you know, before it even hits my test bench. Okay. And so, uh, yeah, no, I mean, you don't have to do that, but, but speakers, you know, brand new speakers don't sound that great until they're 
worn in for a little while. Okay, interesting. When do you find speakers start sounding good? Well, that's hard. That's hard to judge. You know, like in the past, I because I have a shop where it doesn't matter. Uh, you know, uh, I can I can brutalize some cabinets if they're my own personal cabinets for a while when they're brand new. So I can, uh, you know, I'll I'll let a hundred watt amp pound through a cabinet for three hours, mm. and uh, and it, it's I tested this once tested like doing it for an hour and then listening to the cabinet then doing it for two hours listening three hours right. and then six hours you gotta you gotta take a break in between times because you could actually you can actually freeze the voice coils because they get so hot mm. um and it radically sound sounded better as the longer that thing got worn in mm -hmm. warmer better richer fuller just in, insanely better especially with like the likes of a vintage 30 or something right it's it's interesting because like just thinking about that now i remember the the classic marketing material that came out when the 5153 was being announced and ed was talking about how he put the amp in a warehouse and let it feed back and then came back a month later to see if it was still on and it was still feeding back like theoretically like is that really like you think that's true it is true he did do that <laughs> He and it was still it, dude, he he like hit the strings on his guitar, laid it on the floor, had the amp cranked, and left his studio and left it on for like days. And it, and it, it was still operating when he came back. That was his torture test. <laughs> yeah. Did, did the amp still sound good though after that's the question? Like, how does it not burn out? Does it not catch fire? Well, it didn't. So that that's the idea. It's yeah. so it does, you know, so it's to make sure it doesn't. <laughs> you know what are what are some of the crazy like weird modifications that ed made you do over the years i don't know if there's really any modifications he had me do i mean like you know just i, I built his rigs and you know that's okay. what i did and then i restored his original amp to to its or seemingly according to him his former its former glory okay did it sound like that Van Halen one record when that like, sounded awesome. <laughs> awesome? Why do you think Ed didn't take that tone and replicate it into a fifty one fifty line of amps? Like, why do you think he stuck with the modern he super was, gain? He, out was, stuff? he was looking for something else. He, he looked for you know more gain and more, just more. You know. Do you make an amp that sounds like that amp? Uh, not yet, but I am oh. doing a vintage Marshall sort of amp vintage plexi sort of amp mm. will come up sometime next year so when you say not yet we get something mm, in, in yeah the works. yeah yeah interesting you have a name for it no not yet <laughs> gonna call it the ed no definitely <laughs> not not even remotely related to van halen whatsoever no it really isn't it's it's really you know it might take on the on the, on the plexi you know plexi kind of thing Nice. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Everybody, everybody talks about Plexi, Marshall, and this and that, but it's like, why are they so sought after? It's a great era of Marshall. <laughs> but what does that make it? What does that mean? A great era of Marshall? Like, what was the parts they were using, the people that were making them? I don't think, I don't, I, I mean, I, I think, uh, you know, after like 1983 or so, Marshall really ceased to exist in my book wow 
after the JCM 800 was kind of all over. And really, the funny thing is, growing up, the JCM 800, when that came out, people were like, ah, this doesn't sound as good as the older ones. So, you know, this was the bastard stepchild of, of you know, and now they're like these revered amps and stuff. And mm-hmm. eh, they weren't really. Right. Interesting. Well, it was so great to talk to you and, and meet you. This is this is super yeah, fun. Um, you answered a lot of my dumb guitar questions, but that's what people like on episodes like that's this. That's so. what I do, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> dumb guitar questions. Dumb next time, guitar questions. Next time you need a dumb guitar question answered, Dave will send you a video of him explaining to you why <laughs> what you got to do. <laughs> I'm giving everybody your number. No. <laughs> That's the best. So what's the best way for people to reach out? I mean, like, obviously, you got the website and everything, but, like, you got socials and, like, uh, Tone yeah. Talk on YouTube. I mean, uh, you know, uh, emails. We have, um, you know, freedmanamps at gmail.com. You're going to get me there uh, all the time if you have Freedman-related questions. Obviously, our website, freedmanamplification.com. And our... Oh, we have all sorts of, you know, we have a, a Facebook user group uh, that that is is out there in the world that everyone participates in. We have, uh, you know, our Instagram, which off the top of my head. Yeah. Two Instagrams. There's a personal one. I have Friedman Amps Dave and Friedman. Uh, yeah, sorry, I forgot. I don't handle that. So I'm going to go I'm following you on Instagram. Oh, it's Friedman underscore Amps. There you go. That's the, uh, the official one. And then Friedman Amps Dave is the one for me. The product of decades-long pursuit of tonal superiority by amp guru Dave Friedman. Now also guitars and pedals. There you go. <laughs> I love that. Well, thanks a lot for coming on. We'll have to do this again, and I'll have more uh, more questions next time. Awesome. Yeah, no problem, man. I'll ask you the David Getta. And, uh, you know what? I'll just ask you total like top 40 radio questions next time. And you'll watch me not be able to answer them, probably. <laughs> yeah. Okay, if you're on a desert island, which would you prefer? Uh, in and out or uh, <laughs> Raising Canes? In and out. <laughs> you got to go in and out. <laughs> <laughs> all right, man. Thanks a lot. All right, man. An all-new episode of The Jeremy White Show. Available wherever you stream. Catch up on past interviews and episodes on demand now. Subscribe so you don't miss any of it.